Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So, we're at... Um Class 30, it's either 30, 33 or 34 classes, I think 33 now, think about it, of our structured study of jhana meditation. And this sutta also fits nicely with uh, our just completed uh, Four Foundations of Mindfulness Fall Retreat, in that the whole point of the Buddha's Dhamma of jhana meditation, uh, which uh, rests on the Four Foundations of Mindfulness, is to understand what it means to be a human being. And this is the um, profound and simple resolution of what an awakened human being realized was the best way to teach this simplicity. And notice how, it, how this, um, this six-property person that we're going to learn about in just a, a moment is all that a human being is and all that a human being ever can be. So what this means is that everything else after that point is what we add to or what we decide we want this, this six-property person to experience as a human being. The point is that it's our choice what we attach ourselves to, cling ourselves to, use to define ourselves, or if we use the Dhamma to realize what it means to be a human being and resolve our understanding of our own humanity in this manner, then this is the way we'll experience this moment on for the rest of our lives, just a six property person having a human experience, which is then a dispassionate and impersonal reference point for all that is occurring. This is the Dr. Bhagavad an analysis of the six human property from the Majima Nikaya of 140. On one occasion, the Buddha was wandering among the Magadans. He entered Rajagaha and went to the potter Bhagava. He asked Bhagava, if it is no inconvenience, if it is no inconvenient for you, friend, I will stay for one night in your shed. It is no inconvenience for me, but the wanderer Pukasati has already taken up residence there. If he gives his permission, you may stay, stay there as you like. So this sutta is one of many where the, um, the Buddha reveals himself, young Siddhartha, well, he could be more into middle-aged Siddhartha here in this sutta, but he reveals himself as an utterly human being and almost um, playful in a way, in a, in, a, in a completely not mean way, in a very playful but loving way, uh, how he treats Pukasati. Pukasati, a fellow Sakya, meaning one of the, the uh, uh, the Buddha's clan, I mean, who's probably a cousin or so, has gone forth into homelessness and was developing the Buddha's Dhamma. The Buddha approached Pukasati and asked him if he could stay one night in his shed. Pukasati replied, the shed is roomy, my friend. Stay as you like. The Buddha entered the shed and sat on a pile of leaves and grass, folding his legs crosswise, crosswise and holding his body erect, he set mindfulness to the fore and began jhana, as we've been studying. 
Pukasati joined him in meditation. <clears throat> As morning approached, the Buddha had the thought, how inspiring Pukasati behaves. Let me question him on his understanding. So the Buddha knows that Pukasati is practicing his Dhamma and is one of his disciples, but Pukasati doesn't know who he's sharing a shed with. Venerable Pukasati, out of dedication to whom have you gone forth? Who is your teacher? And whose Dhamma are you practicing? Pukasati says, well, my teacher is Gautama the Contemplative, the Sakyan son. He is known far and wide as a Buddha, a rightly self-awakened one. He is consummate and clear knowing and of pure conduct. He is an expert of worldly affairs and the unsurpassed teacher of those fit to be teach. I have gone forth with dedication to him as my teacher, and it is his Dhamma that I am practicing. So Buddha says, friend Pukasati, where is this Buddha and where is he staying now? Wanderer, I have heard that the Buddha is, at, is in Savati. Then he says, have you met the Buddha, Pukasati? Would you recognize him? No, I have never met the Buddha, and I would not recognize him. So again, he's giving him a little jab and kind of putting something in his mind for what Pukasati is going to understand in a short while. The Buddha understood Pukasati's devotion. And so without identifying himself, he said, I will teach you the Dhamma, friend. Listen and pay close attention as I speak. Then the Buddha says, and I remember, he's already, um, he's teaching somebody who he knows has already been practicing the Dhamma. And the Buddha likely knows a, a good deal about Pukasati's development in the Dhamma. So he teaches Pukasati in this way. A person has six properties, six media of sensory contact, meaning the six sense base, our five physical senses, and the sixth sense of our consciousness, ongoing thinking, rooted in ignorance of four noble truths, and the, leading to the 18 distinct considerations. Furthermore, a well-focused Dhamma practitioner establishes four wise determinations. Having established these four wise determinations as opposed to unwise determinations, this one has still the distraction of fabricated speculation and supposition. When the distraction of fabricated speculation and supposition has still, this one is said to be a sage of peace. So he's telling Pukasati, and now remember Pukasati was studying in the same um, spiritual slash religious slash even new agey uh, during the Buddhist time um, teachers and the, the ideas that were around during that time. And all of them, like today, resolved themsem themselves in some non-physical uh, future world, not in this world resolution. And immediately the Buddha is telling Pukasati right off the bat, don't go there. The Dhamma that he's teaching, now Pukasati doesn't know he's sharing a cabin with the Buddha, but the Dhamma that the Buddha is teaching is a completely human-based Dhamma that is for human beings to ex experience. So there's nothing that, that the Buddha could teach Pukasati that he could not experience as a human being, and that he also could not experience as some kind of fabricated in a future body, in a future life human being, because the Buddha doesn't teach that. This one is said to be a sage of peace. A well-focused Dhamma practitioner should not neglect wise discernment, should always guard the truth, meaning four noble truths, should always be devoted to unbinding from ignorance of four noble truths, and train their minds only for calm. 
That's what we're doing. That's what he's telling Pukasaki. What, would he, what are we training our minds for? Not for some kind of fabricated superpower or super understanding or clairvoyance or anything <coughs> that a human being can't experience right here and right now. We train our minds only for calm. And how do we do that? Through understanding what it means to be a human being. Then the Buddha says, this is my, my summary and analysis of these six properties. The earth property, the liquid property, the fire property, the wind property, the space property, and the consciousness property. And then the Buddha says a person has these six properties. That's it. And when you examine these six properties, that's all we ever are and it's all we ever can be. Again, no matter what we attach ourselves to, no matter how we live our lives or achieve in our lives, or even um, as Dhamma practitioners, we can achieve the highest levels of Dhamma of a Dhamma practitioner's life, meaning awaken, gaining full human maturity. And where does that leave us? It leaves us with the profound understanding that I'm a six property person. In fact, it is by understanding that we are a six property person and nothing more that we develop a calm mind. A calm mind, a mind that is unshakably calm, resting in that understanding. This is what I am. Then the Buddha says, furthermore, a person has six media of sensory contact, the sixth sense base, the eye, the ear, the nose, the tongue, the body, the intellect. A person, the Buddha says again, <coughs> The Buddha reiterates, a person has the six media of sensory contact, the sixth sense base. So this is how each and every human being comes in contact with the world, how we take this, this six property person, right? The, the, the four elements that, con that they constitute every human being, we all know that. The space property, those elements need something with which to animate within the space property, but also within us, meaning if there wasn't space within our bodies, there'd be nothing for food to come through and digest and work its way through our bodies. We wouldn't have lungs that could take in air that requires the space property, right? We wouldn't have holes in our heads for our eyeballs if, we, if there wasn't for the space property creating that space. So that's a property of a human being, isn't it? It's not, space isn't out there, it's here. And it's, a, it's within a mind united in its body that I occupy this space known as me, but it's an impersonal space that is, that is only constituted of these six properties. But within these six properties is this sixth sense base that interprets, interprets what's occurring to this six property person. Does anybody have any questions about that? That's, I'm not confusing you all, am I? It is just what we are as a human being. We're a six property person, right? And we have these, these senses that we come in contact with the world. But really what we're doing is coming in contact with our own mind because it's what we're holding in mind that determines our experience, right? If the, the, we have the six sense base of the, the five senses and consciousness, and we have the six properties, which are also five properties and consciousness. Yes. They, they overlap. Somehow. Yeah, well, they, they, they complement each other. 
they they overlap within that mind united in its body and they do not they, they, the, the dissonance comes when that mind isn't united in its body and they're mm. so disconnected from from all of this thing that it means to be a human being because we can't be a human being unless we have that that interpretive part of being a human being consciously and mindfully aware in its body could because if that mind is distracted at any point right if the mind is distracted away from being in this body it's not living in that moment and a mind that is continually distracted because of ignorance of four noble truths is never living in that moment it's always a moment that is occurring to it that that mind has to react to because it's not present for it a mind that is able to be mindfully present life as life occurs simply a reference point somebody who knows that it is a six property person and nothing more remains that way and then is, is an example of what the Buddha teaches us as an awakened quality of mind, calm, right? No stress. Rooted in the understanding of what's occurring and what it and what is actually having an experience of what is occurring. Furthermore, a person has 18 considerations. Now, this seems pretty complicated, but when you think, of, well, let me explain it first, and then I think you'll see, hopefully, <laughs> that it's not complicated at all. On seeing form with the eye, one considers form as either, either a basis for pleasure or this form as a basis for disappointment, right? That by eye form, or this form as a basis for equanimity. That's the choice I have. By coming in contact with this portion of my sixth sense base, something is either pleasing or it's disappointing based on how I'm taking it. Or if I'm not taking it personal, or personally, then my mind is resting in equanimity, also known as calm, right? And that's the choice that, and that's the only choice that a six property person has in using those properties it has maturely, without any eye making, without any grasping after or aversion. I'm simply seeing what this form is seeing without any me in it. And so it doesn't mean that I won't recognize a beautiful sunset or the beautiful baby that visited us during our retreat or um, a lack of a, of a beautiful sunset. Maybe there, wasn't, maybe, maybe there wasn't any sunset at all, like today. It was a rainy day. It was overcast, so no sunset. Should I be disappointed that I didn't see another beautiful sunset like yesterday? This was just a really crappy day because of that. It spoiled my day because I didn't get what I wanted out of this day, which was another wonderful sunset. No. In fact, using that as an example, I'd be kind of a fool if I was disappointed because I didn't get another beautiful sunset today, wouldn't I? It would be a little bit immature, wouldn't it, be for me to have an expectation of how this day should be based on yesterday. But we base each and every moment based on what our last moment was like or a culmination of every moment we ever lived that is coloring this moment called conditioned thinking, leading my expectation of what the next moment must be like. And usually that, mess, that next moment is gonna be rooted in some form of anxiety because I'm dragging a bunch of stuff from yesterday into, into today, into tomorrow, losing my mind in this moment. I always liked how in this sutta, it's equanimity versus pleasant nor unpleasant yeah and it's almost like mm -hmm. this is a this is preferred 
is to have a balance yes versus in others it seems like we describe it as we're kind of in a fog yeah it, so it, i've often been curious about in this suit that mm. it, it makes it seem like that's the preferred to be in balance yes yeah it's and the, the preferred or the awakened or mature view which is what we're excusing but with the, the at the point of contact you can have pleasant or unpleasant or ambivalent and that seems to be a not a that seems to be a negative oh yeah this seems to be a more refined yeah characterization of of what's available yeah you're very much aware yeah and that would be the that yeah that that balanced place which which is also always available to us through a properly rooted sixth sense base the sixth sense base that is rooted in understanding of what's actually occurring without me being in it <clears throat> so it is it is just it is just this you know and and so and e equanimity is e true equanimity maybe should, that's, i shouldn't put that on it it's only equanimity is only present when there's no none of my ego personality coloring this moment because then then there is only if i'm coloring this moment then i am determined only for pleasure or pain or pleasure or disappointment because that's all that i can see and if i'm taking anything personal i'm going to see if i'm going to take a sunset personally whether it's good or bad and i'm going to put a, i'm going to attach me to it as whether I, I approve of this or I disapprove of it, or it's just another moment. And so then equanimity prevails no matter what and has nothing to do with, with sunsets or sunrises or any other worldly condition because I'm in control of my mind. How did I do that? How do I achieve control of my mind? Because of concentration, because of jhana meditation that leads me ultimately to the realization that each and every moment I can, I can never be anything more than a six property person. But that six property person and understanding what it means to be a six property person is that six property person can live an incredibly meaningful life. In fact, a more a life that is more meaningful than ever before. Why? Because that, that human being is now present for what's occurring rather than needing something to be different in this moment. Wow, I'm sorry. Talk <laughs> uh, way past it was worth bringing it up. On hearing sound with the ear, one considers sound as either a basis for pleasure or sound as a basis for disappointment or sound as a basis for equanimity. Meaning every sound is a basis for one of these things. Am I going to insist that sounds need to, need to fit what I want to hear moment by moment? Or maybe a lack of sound, I insist on, on times of my life that there has to be absolute quiet Especially if I'm meditating, there can't be any sound coming from the world. Or am I just understanding that as a consequence of having a human being, I'm fortunate to have six senses. One of them is hearing. And sometimes I might hear things and I'd rather not be hearing in this moment, but I'm at peace with it because it's what, what I'm hearing. For me to have to be fortunate to have hearing, I gotta be open to hearing everything, don't I? And the way to be open to hearing everything without taking anything personally is through this practice, through understanding. 
that these senses are connected to a sixth property person. Oh, John. Hello, Jeff. There you are. I'm glad you joined us. We'll continue. On smelling an aroma with a nose, one considers aroma as a basis for pleasure or aroma as a basis for disappointment or aroma as a basis for equanimity. It's our choice each and every moment of our lives. With tasting flavor with the tongue, one considers taste as a basis for pleasure or taste as a basis for disappointment or taste as a basis for equanimity. I'm simply tasting. I'm simply tasting what's here. On feeling a tactile sensation with the body, one considers feeling as a basis for pleasure or feeling as a basis for disappointment or feeling as a basis for equanimity. And we learned in the four foundations of mindfulness over our weekend retreat that a feeling just arises and passes away. There's nothing personal about any feeling. They're all impermanent. They all arise and, and pass away if we allow them. But if we insist on feeling things and only in one certain way, we're always going to be distracted and disappointed by our feelings. On cognizing an idea with the intellect, one considers the idea as a basis for pleasure or the idea as a basis for, basis for disappointment or the idea as a basis for equanimity. But as soon as I've identified an idea as mine, then I'm stuck with it. And I'm stuck with defending it and protecting it and keeping it going. Why? Because it's my idea. Even if the idea is as ridiculous as many that I've had, such as crawling to the bottom of a vodka bottle as quickly as I could was reasonable. I should do it over and over and over again. I was mindful of that thought for many years. And that is mindfulness, by the way. Right? I was, I was recollecting and holding in mind what I most needed at that moment. And I firmly believed it's what I most needed in that moment. But my belief didn't make it so, did it? It was a self-centered, self-referential idea that kept that going, that I needed alcohol and drugs to, to survive in the world. I proved it wasn't true, but I couldn't prove it while I was doing it, was I? I couldn't prove it with the same mind that I was using to keep it going. The same is true with the Dhamma. I can't keep that same compulsive mind, that mind is compulsed towards keeping me going, continued eye-making, not looking for equanimity, always seeking pleasure and pain through the sixth sense base rather than equanimity. And if I keep doing that, I can't hope to resolve this issue either, can I? If I keep doing the same things that keep it up, I can't expect ignorance to subside. But if I develop the Dharma and understand that all I can ever be is a six property person, and if I and if I stop trying to add to that six property person, that which can't be added to it then I can rest in calm and equanimity. And knowing that each and every moment, as David pointed out, thank you, David, that it is that distinction. <clears throat> we choose equanimity or not. And we choose it as things are coming in contact with our senses, right? Not when we're isolated from the world, but when we're secluded from the world. How do we do that? How do we establish seclusion? What am I talking about? What's the difference between seclusion and isolation? <clears throat> seclusion is established in the four foundations of mindfulness and jhana meditation. It's a well-concentrated mind that can walk out into the world moment by moment, maintaining seclusion of understanding. 
but not being isolated from the world, right? Isolation is something that is rooted in fear and anxiety in the world. What we're talking about through the Dhamma is a deep and powerful and moment by moment immersion in life as life occurs without the need for it to be any different. Simply a six property person. John, would you say that then pleasant or, or unpleasant is almost a state of delusion? That clarity would be, equanimity would be a, state of clarity yes equanimity thank you david equanimity is the awakened mind it's just another word for not just another word for the for the fourth foundation of mindfulness mindfulness that has been established now by an awakened human being meaning a fully mature human being and so their mind rests in equanimity but we also experience it and we may not recognize it but we experience it in each and every meditation session which is that fourth foundation of mindfulness to recognize if, if only for just a brief moment or two, your mind is resting in calm or resting in equanimity. And the reason why it's important to recognize it and the reason why David is bringing it up is to, so that we do recognize that that's a natural consequence of our human mind. It's not something that we grasp after. It's not something that um, if we're favored by gods or goddesses, or whatever there might be, or favored by our own practice that will be granted this. No, equanimity is the natural state of a human being. It's unnatural to be constantly grasping after and distracted by pleasure or pain or pleasure or disappointment. Because you're almost like, you put this word positive to pleasant or yeah. negative to unpleasant, but that's just both craving yeah so <coughs> there's equanimity in in both of them mm. in that something that is like in the sacramentana sutra or, or others where it says you know um mindful that mindful of uh pleasurable thoughts, feelings, emotions, mindful of that there is not pleasure, mindful that there is neither pleasure nor non-pleasure. So there's, mindful that there's not pleasure doesn't necessarily mean negative. There, it, there can be sort of a equanimous quality of mind, even if something that doesn't belong to pleasure arises. Is that right, Jeff? Say that some more. I think <clears throat> well, if as soon as you classify it as pleasurable pain, you're already in 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 the craving mind. It's when well, it, it depends. I think I know what Matt's talking about, but it depends. If when when my dad died, I was sad, but I was appropriately mm -hmm. sad. Right? right, and I am, and then my mind was still resting in the in the equanimity of the appropriate feelings. Right. But it wasn't like, how could have God taken this poor guy so soon? He was only 101 when he died. It, but I mean, people could say that, and actually, yeah, and people did say somebody did say, well, something like he went too soon or something. I, said, really? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I actually heard that. Yeah, 
And he went the last 10 years weren't fun, so it wasn't like he was missing out. Yeah. But I, yeah, so well, you know, in, in the third John, that pleasure and pain disappear. Yeah, right. but it, but judgment. It, but but the but the recognition of the profound sadness that I felt when I saw him in the box was appropriate. Mm -hmm. And I I think he would say that I that I have developed to the, to an inhuman state. And this was a dangerous practice if I had right. gotten to that point. But the sadness was not painful. No, it was it was a exactly. mind resting in equanimity. And it, and, it, and I, won't, I won't say that it was pleasurable pleasurable because it wasn't, but it was it was profound. In in just that I could be with with this man that meant every almost to tears, without even his death needing to be any different, which also meant that I had resolved the issues that. That most people carry with their dads that he needed in some way to be different mm -hmm. than he was. It was, I didn't. There were times in my life where I wish he was, you know. There were most of my siblings would have prob probably said that even at his death, that there were things that I wish were different. My dad was great, but I'm putting him down. But, but the perspective was different. I was, you know, he was my dad. I was, mm -hmm. I'm just glad he was. Mm -hmm. And so the sadness that Matt was referring to was the appropriate feeling. And I'm glad you brought it up because you can misunderstand where we're going here, that we're, we're, that we're moving towards the, becoming automatons where we're not supposed to feel. But what, we're, what we do get the ability to feel is to feel everything. We learn what it means to feel as a human being, which means I don't need it to be any different. I'm just a six property person having these feelings. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, everyone. So these, these, here, go back just a little bit. Okay, I covered that. These are the six considerations that are conducive to pleasure, six considerations that are conducive to disappointment, and six considerations that are conducive to equanimity. A person has these 18 considerations. So it seemed like a lot, 18 considerations. Are I going to consider all these 18 things? No, it's not that. You have the choice in each and every moment of, how are you going to use your senses? You can use, I can use my senses skillfully, meaning rooted in understanding, or I can use them unskillfully, meaning to continue my own ignorance of four noble truths. That's up to me. And it's especially up to me once I know better. Like for the, you know, the first 30 years of my life, I didn't know better. So you could say I had an excuse. I guess we all do. But now that I know better, I don't have any, any excuse, do I? And I hope none of you feel like you have an excuse. <laughs> you just take to it. You understand that this is what we're doing. We're simply becoming human beings. And that's it. So we're not giving up anything. These, these, um, these feelings that we think we're losing, that we, that, that we used to define ourselves as human beings, are dukkha. It's those feelings that cause stress for us. Excuse me. <clears throat> Furthermore, a wise dollar practitioner has these four determinations. The determination for discernment or wisdom, <clears throat> developing understanding. The determination for truth, meaning understanding four noble truths. The determination for relinquishment, meaning I am determined to relinquish all views ignorant of four noble truths. And the determination for calm. This is why I practice. For wisdom, for truth, for understanding the truth, for letting go of all views ignorant of that truth, 
and for developing a common peaceful mind through that understanding. And then the Buddha, the Buddha says a wise Dhamma practitioner has these four determinations. A Dhamma practitioner should not neglect discernment, should always guard the Four Noble Truths, should be devoted to relinquishment of views ignorant of Four Noble Truths, and to train only for calm. To train only for calm. It's such an important to remind it. That's what we're doing. We're training for calm. So if we find our minds not going towards calm, find out why. And if you don't know why, immediately ask me, ask one of the other teachers, listen to a sutta, come to class. Because if you find that your mind is inclined towards something other than calm, you do need to find out why. What are you looking for in your meditation? And when you bring it back here, you'll, you will hear that we only practice for calm. The Buddha then doesn't leave us here by saying you should only be a certain way. He teaches us how to be that certain way. And how does one not neglect discernment? Through mindfulness of these six properties. These six properties. And he doesn't even leave that up to our judgment. What is the earth property? The earth property can be internal or external. The internal earth property is anything within oneself that is hard, solid, and sustained by craving. Head, hair, body, nails, teeth, flesh, tendons, bone, marrow, kidneys, heart, liver, membranes, spleen, lungs, intestines, contents of the stomach, feces, and anything else internal within oneself that has that is hard, solid, and sustained by craving. This is called the internal earth property. Both the internal earth property and the external earth property are simply earth property. What's the external earth property? The imagination, the fabrication of who I think I should be out in that world such as six foot four and playing center field for the Yankees when I'm only five foot seven and slow foot. Anything, internal, external, what I hold out to the world, what I project, what I want you to see as me, that isn't me, that's the external earth property, but it's also everything that I cling to outside in the physical world. This is how the earth property should be seen by one with right discernment. This is not me. This is not mine. This is not what I am. Then the Buddha says, when one sees this, meaning this form, and as it has come to be with right discernment, right? there's a right and a wrong discernment, one becomes disenchanted with the earth property. And through lack of sustenance, the earth property fades from the mind. It doesn't mean that, that I lose any reference of self. It simply means that that, that that projection that I'm carrying about myself, that fabrication, of who I am fades from the mind. How does it fade from the mind? Or maybe you could say, why does it fade from the mind? It's because I no longer need it to keep me going. I understand I'm a six property person. I don't have to keep the projections and the fabrications going any longer because I understand the stress, the pain that they bring me and the pain that they like to bring other people through the ideologies that, that I might develop through my fabrications. And then my tribal ide ideologies etc 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 instead of resting in calm instead of training only for calm and what is the liquid property the liquid property can be internal or external the internal liquid property is anything belonging to oneself that is liquid watery and sustained by craving etc 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 all the liquid stuff that is inside of us this is called the internal liquid property both internal and external liquid property 
are simply liquid properties. So no matter what we project about ourselves out into the world, internal and external views are only internal views and always internal views. Everything that I think about myself in relation to the world is occurring where? Here. Even that view of, of a, a Mount Kilauea, I don't know why it popped into my head, is still my view of, of it. It's different from your view, even, if, even though it's the same object. My view is always my view. Your view is always your view. When, we, when our views meet through an eightfold path, they tend to not be antagonistic towards each other, though. We experienced that during our retreat this weekend. This is how the liquid property should be seen by one with bright discernment or wise discernment. This is not me. This is not mine. This is not what I am. When one sees this as it has come to be with right discernment, one becomes disenchanted with the liquid property. And through lack of sustenance, the liquid property fades from the mind. And there, uh, that's a tape of tea. So just to conclude this, the rest of the sutta continues with the Buddha describing our different um, internal sense media and internal properties in this way, and always describing them as simply ordinary human qualities that no one should take personally. They're just, you have them because you're a human being. And then anything else that we add to that is just what we add to it. And so now you can leave here and understand you're just a six property person. That's all you ever be. And that's enough. Thank you. For I'm glad you joined us tonight. And thank you for letting me know the time. Okay. No, you can't go. Well, I gotta go. <laughs> I'm and the Buddha continues. And what is the fire property? The fire property can be internal or external. The internal fire property is anything belonging to oneself that is fire, fiery, and sustained by craving. The internal fire property is that which the body is warmed, ages, <clears throat> consumed by fire, that which is eaten, drunk, Chewed and savored, that which is digested or anything else internal within oneself that is fire, fire, fiery, and sustained. This is called the internal fire property. Both internal and external fire property are simply the fire property. There's nothing outside of ourselves. This is how the fire property should be seen, etc., etc. One property the same way. And what is the space property? The space property can be internal or external as well. The internal space property is anything belonging to oneself, oneself that is space, spatial, and sustained by craving. The internal space property is the, is the holes of the ears, the nostrils, the mouth, the throat passage, whereby what is eaten, drunk, consumed, and tasted gets swallowed and where it, where it collects and whereby it is excreted from the body or anything else internal within oneself that is space, spatial, and sustained by craving. <clears throat> this is called the internal space property. Both internal and external space property are simply space property. What does it mean here in each section, each um, description, and sustained by craving? This view of self, that this is what the self is constituted as and described by, meaning uses, using the senses rooted in ignorance to describe, to describe the self is what is meant by sustained by craving. These, these, um, the sixth sense base, when it's not sustained by craving and maintained by craving, meaning using it to continue your views rooted in ignorance, 
It is simply the sixth sense base that is interpreting what's happening around, around you, around me, in an impersonal and dispassionate way. So it's not contributing to craving. It's just seeing what's clearly there. This is how the space property should be seen by one with right discernment. This is not me. This is not mine. This is not what I am. This is not myself. When one has seen this as it has come to be, meaning through Dharma practice, as it has come to be with right discernment, one becomes disenchanted with the space property and through lack of sustenance, the space property fades, fades from mind. We become disenchanted, no longer enchanted with my eye making because we see the foolishness of it. And what is the consciousness property? Consciousness free of fabrication remains pure and bright. So the Buddha starts out telling Pukasati immediately that your consciousness is pure and bright, except what is provided, what is perceived by consciousness? One perceives pleasure, one perceives pain, one perceives neither pleasure nor pain. That's what we do with consciousness. That's what it's there for. Independence on sensory contact that is to be felt as pleasure, there arises a feeling of pleasure. Meaning that was my intention now. I was chasing after pleasure. So that's what I felt. And if I'm chasing after this moment to provide pleasure, pleasure, what do I know is going to happen because of impermanence? Well, at least an awakened mind knows that I'm going to be disappointed because whatever is giving me pleasure in this moment is going to fade by the law of impermanence. So by me self-identifying with pleasure, I'm setting myself up for stress. Due to self-identification, the Buddha says, one perceives, I am sensing a feeling of pleasure. Independence on sensory contact that is, that is to be felt as pain, there arises a feeling of pain. And due to self-identification, one perceives, I am sensing a feeling of pain. Independence on sensory contact that is to be felt as neither pleasure nor pain, meaning going into that moment as Matt was describing, as, as David was describing as well, in equanimity, then there arises a feeling of neither pleasure nor pain. And due to lack of self-identification, well, self one can perceive I am sensing neither pleasure nor pain, or you can understand in this moment why mind is resting in equanimity. And therefore, the question doesn't arise. You're just resting in equanimity. You're just resting in the pure experience of this moment. The Buddha continues, through refined mindfulness, one understands that with the self, the cessation of self-identification of that very sensory contact, the feeling of pleasure has arisen independently of that contact. What is to be felt as pleasure ceases. It is still through lack of sustenance, through lack of me craving and clinging. Then I am simply experiencing what is experiencing. The reaction in me is still. Through refined mindfulness, one understands that with the cessation of that very sensory contact, the feeling of pain has arisen independently from that contact. What is to be felt as pain is still. Through refined mindfulness, one understands that with the cessation of that very sensory contact, meaning no longer using my senses to continue ignorance, now simply as, as, an, as a non-self-referential interpretive vehicle, the feeling of neither pleasure nor pain has arisen independently of that contact. It's just what's present. That is to be felt as neither pleasure nor pain is still. 
Just as when two sticks are brought together and agitated, heat and fire are born, dependent on that contact and the agitation. Both, both components have to be there for fire to start. There both has to be a mind, there both has to be a human being with an uncontrolled mind that is prone to agitation for that mind to become agitated. There's a condition there. When those sticks are separated and the agitation ceases, heat subsides and the fire is extinguished. When ignorance is taken out of the equation, that mind is no longer agitated. There's nothing left to bring those fires of passion. In the same manner, an agitated mind, lacking concentration, independence on contact, will feel feelings of pleasure or feelings of pleasure, uh, feelings of pain or feelings of neither pleasure nor pain, but that ambiguity will be also bothersome. It will be seen as boredom, something that needs to be immediately addressed by immediate distraction. A wise Dharma practitioner, however, understands that with a cessation of sensory contact, feelings of pleasure or pain or neither pleasure nor pain are still. We just feel what's arising without the need for it to be any different. Now there remains only a mind established in equanimity, luminous, pure, supple and spacious. Just as if a skillful goldsmith were to take raw gold and through skillful effort, transform this raw gold into a into a refined and flawless ornament, malleable and luminous. The gold would now suit the goldsmith's purpose. We're doing the same thing with our minds. We're molding the gold of our mind into something that is useful for what? For awakening, for developing calm. In the same manner, we can... <clears throat> In the same manner, one whose mind is established in equanimity, that fourth foundation of mindfulness, luminous, pure, supple, and spacious, knows that if I were to direct my thinking towards non-physical dimensions of infinite consciousness or infinite space or infinite emptiness or nothingness or the dimension of neither perception or non-perception, I would know these dimensions as fabricated. Again, the Buddha is teaching Pukasati what was common during his time and, and common during our time, that there's some kind of magical experience that's to, that's to be found in transporting ourselves somehow into some non-physical realm. Guess what, folks? We can't do it. It's not possible for us to do that. At least, not that anyone's been able to prove. <laughs> if you want to go on, on faith and speculation... That's fine. But what the Buddha found and what I found is that only leads to pain, to distress, to distraction, to not knowing what it means to be a six-property person, period. The Buddha continues, a wise Dhamma practitioner does not fabricate or mentally construct for the sake of self-establishment in this physical realm or any fabricated non-physical realm, any. Fabrications abandoned. This one is not sustained through craving. This one is released from, cling, from clinging to anything in the world. This one is no longer agitated. Their mind is calm and well concentrated. This one knows their mind is calm and well concentrated. Meaning this one, as Dhamma practitioners, we know it. If we don't know it, find out why. It simply means you need a little bit more practice. This one's mind is no longer, read it again. This one's mind is no longer agitated. Their mind is calm and well concentrated. 
This one knows their mind is calm and well concentrated. This one knows birth is now ended, meaning there's nothing left within me to give birth to another moment rooted in ignorance. Birth is now ended. A life well integrated with the Eightfold Path has been lived. My task is complete, meaning awakening, gaining full human maturity is complete. There is nothing further in this world. Now I can just rest in that pure, bright equanimity. There's nothing further to do except be an awakened human being. Then the Buddha says, friend Pukasati, when sensing a feeling of pleasure, understand it as impersonal and as such impermanent. Understanding thus, craving and clinging vanish. Likewise, when sensing a feeling of pain or sensing a feeling of neither pleasure nor pain, understand these feelings as impersonal and as such impermanent. Understanding thus, craving and clinging vanish. Understanding brings the awareness that pleasure, pain, and neither pleasure nor pain are impersonal and as such impermanent and are not craved for or self-identified with. They have nothing to do with me or mine. When feeling pleasure, pain, or neither pleasure nor pain, a wise Dharma practitioner remains disjoined from these feelings. Meaning, as opposed to joining, to taking things personal, we may remain disjoined. This one understands feelings in the body are limited to the body. This one understands feelings limited to human life are limited to this human life. No matter what I do, I can't take a feeling or a thought and implant it or extrapolate it in any way to some kind of future plane of exam. It doesn't even make sense to say it, does it? How could I? If I get this one life, if I'm a six property person, if I'm a mind united in its body, where could I, where else could I put this? There's no, there's no place else to go. I am a mind united in this body and I intend to keep it here. It's taken me a while to get it here. So why would I want to fall back into speculation of going into nothingness or emptiness or any of these other non-physical realms? I mind if I still associated with people that were like-minded and thought there was some value in that. And I might continue creating conflict if I continue to associate myself with those kinds of thoughts. But the Buddha says, teaches us how to resolve those types of associations. He says with the, the wise disciple, those with wise discernment, meaning we associate ourselves only with the Dhamma and we train only for calm. Those that do so understand that with the ending of life and the breakup of the, of the body, that all that is experienced and not joined to will grow cold and end right then. That's life. That's a six-property person. When I'm done, I'm done. Just as an oil lamp burns in dependence on wick and oil, from the termination of wick and oil, it would be unnourished and cease. In the same manner, when a wise Dharma practitioner is feeling a feeling limited to the body, they understand, I am sensing a feeling that is limited to this body. When wise Dharma practitioners feeling a feeling limited to human life, they understand I am sensing a feeling limited to this human life, meaning this feeling is a completely ordinary feeling. How do I know? Because I'm having it in this human life. It's the most ordinary thing that a human being can do is feel. And yet we become so enamored with our feelings, don't we? 
when they, when a feeling is limited to human life and they understand I am sensing a feeling limited to human life, this wise Dhamma practitioner understands that with the ending of life and the breakup of the body, that all that is experienced and not joined to will grow cold and and end right then. In this manner, when one has when one has the highest determination for understanding, for the knowledge or the of the arising and the passing away of suffering and stress, this one has achieved the greatest understanding. What is the greatest understanding? Understanding the knowledge of the arising and the passing away of stress, understanding four noble truths. This Dharma practitioner has gained release from all views, ignorant of four noble truths. Their mind has established right view, now resting in pure truth. This view will no longer fluctuate due to distraction. This one knows whatever is, is deceptive and remains free from associating with deception. This Dharma practitioner is established with the highest determination for truth. This is the foremost unbinding from wrong views and is the highest noble truth. Then the Buddha says, formerly, when still ignorant of four noble truths, this Dhamma practitioner, meaning himself, foolishly craved after mental acquisitions and created self-identities clinging to these mental acquisitions. This Dhamma practitioner has completely abandoned them. He's telling Pukasati, I was just like you, and I abandoned all of that nonsense. This Dhamma practitioner has completely abandoned them through the Eightfold Path. This one. The Buddha is talking about himself through the Eightfold Path. This one has cut fabrications off at the root of ignorance, like the stump of a palmyra tree. Now deprived of the conditions of sustenance, fabrication will no longer arise. Arise. Likewise, likewise, when still ignorant of four noble truths, this Dhamma practitioner was driven by desire and self-infatuation, by ill will and hatred by delusion and ignorance, and created self-identities clinging to these unskillful qualities. Now, this Dharma practitioner has completely abandoned them. Through the Eightfold Path, this one has cut fabrications off at the root of ignorance. Like the stump of a palmyra tree, palmyra tree now deprived of the conditions of sustenance, fabrication will no longer arise. And we can have that same assurance once we stop, once we cut off our own ignorance at the root. This Dharma practitioner has established their highest determination for calm, for the calming of greed, aversion, and deluded thinking. This one has established the highest noble calm. This Dharma practitioner knows to never neglect right view, to always, always guard the four noble truths, and to always train for establishing a calm and well-concentrated mind. This Dharma practitioner understands where, through wise restraint, the currents of speculation and supposition do not flow. This one is known as a sage of peace. Within reference to what I am saying to, all of the following is speculation. Now think about this, and if we could abandon all this speculation, and we can, you will awaken. This is all speculation and supposition. I am, I am this, I will be, I will not be. I will have this form, I will not have this form. I will have psychic powers. A lot of modern Buddhism is taught that you know that you're awakening, you know that you're awakening when you start to develop psychic powers. And yet the Buddha taught 2,600 years ago to, if you start grasping after psychic powers, run and come here and ask yourself why. I will have psychic powers, I will not have psychic powers. It's all speculation. 
Speculation and supposition are diseases. They're a cancer, an arrow. By abandoning all speculation and supposition, anything that can't be experienced by a human being directly, this Dharma practitioner is known as a sage at peace. A sage at peace is no longer distracted or agitated by birth, by, by having a human life, by the consequences of that, by aging, sickness, death, by sorrow, regret, greed, aversion, or deluded thinking. With no distraction or agitation, what would this Dharma practitioner crave for or cling to? Right? There's nothing left. This Dharma practitioner understands where the currents of speculation and supposition do not flow. When, through wise restraint, the currents of speculation, speculation and supposition do not flow, this one is known as a sage of peace. We have a well-controlled mind. You've heard me refer to the Eightfold Path as a limiting path. This is what I mean. It limits us <clears throat> from falling into and grasping after speculation and supposition. Excuse me. Then the Buddha continues. Now, friend Pukasati, you should remember my brief analysis of the six properties. <laughs> Not so brief. Rom snickered at. Then the thought occurred to Venerable Pukasati. I, I usually do too when I get to that point. Surely the great teacher has come to has come to me. Now the Buddha's recognizing Pukasati is recognizing who's sitting in front of him. Surely the great teacher has come to me. Surely the rightly self-awakened one has come to me. And Pukasati rose and bowed to the Buddha. I was foolish, confused, and unskilled to address you merely as a friend, meaning he, he recognizes now who, who, the, who the man is in front of him. Please accept my apology so that I may so that I may restrain myself in the future. The Buddha replied, Yes, confusion overcame you. But most importantly, you have recognized your confusion, and in accordance with my Dhamma have made the strong determination to end your confusion. We do exactly that, what the Buddha told, taught, told Pukasati that he was doing in each and every class. Ehefasika, come and see for yourself. We all talk about how we're implementing the Dhamma and how it's manifesting in our lives so that we can recognize it for ourselves as the Buddha taught Pukasati to do. In that moment, he was taking Pukasati's Dhamma practice from one that might be still somewhat based on faith, meaning the Buddha taught him, to showing Pukasati. I may have taught you, but you recognize this for yourself. You saw it in your own mind. <clears throat> Again, that's what we do here. That's why we run our classes like we do. In accordance with my Dhamma, I have made and have made the strong determination to end your confusion. It is just this determination and discipline that one grows in the Dhamma and practices restraint in the future. Then Pukasati says, great teacher, please accept me into the order to follow your Dhamma. And then the Buddha says, do you have a bowl and, and robes? No, Pukasati said, then, then gather a bowl and robes and I will give you the going forth. Meaning that's all you need to do in the, in the Buddha's day and our day. Just have the determination to go forth and seek the Dhamma. So the rest of it was just uh, the, the ceremony of, of uh, and the symbolism of a bowl and a robe. This is all I need now. It's just a bowl for my food and these robes to keep me uh, clothed from the, from, uh, to give me shelter. 
Pukasati was delighted. He bowed to the Buddha and left in search of an, his alms bowl and robes for his ordination. While searching, a, run, a runaway cow trampled and killed Pukasati. A large group from the Sangha found the Buddha and told him of Pukasati's demise. They asked the, asked the Buddha what Pukasati's future state would be. Friends, Pukasati was wise. He practiced the Dhamma in accordance with, the, with my instruction. He never pestered me with unrelated issues. He abandoned the five fetters of self-identification, grasping at rituals and practices, even very popular during the Buddhist time as today, doubt and uncertainty, something that is told to be cultivated in one of the major schools today, sensual craving, and deluded thinking. He is now free of fabricated views and never again will be subject to the suffering born of ignorance. Those that heard the words of the Buddha were delighted. That's the end of the Thank you all for listening. Um, let's go on there first, and I want to see what. Uh, uh, let's see who's uh, here. Slav, how are you? Hello, Slav. Ah, there he is. <laughs> Hello, Slav. It's very interesting. Uh, You're on your audio show. Yes, sex property of. Um, humans and uh, also uh, I like how is he described it's uh, not me not mine it's not uh, myself and obviously it's it helps kind of like uh, when you remind yourself it's not me not mine not myself uh, have yeah. some discontent with uh, Let's explain. Uh, it's kind of like uh, pull out you of this uh, destruction. And uh, yes, sometimes uh, it's easy to be able to break uh, destruction. Sometimes you have to repeat a couple times. And interesting, it's what. I said, interesting, it's work help you when you uh, remind yourself, not me, not me, about myself. It's help you uh, kind of break through from uh, destruction and go back to, uh, to your breath. Yeah. It's kind of the essence of Dhamma practice to recognize in this moment that I'm not bringing any of my ego personality to this. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, John. Hello, Jane. Hello, John. Um, when I first started the practice, I had a really hard time with this idea that I could feel something and not take it personally. Um, it took a while till I began to understand that if I'm living in the present moment, 
I'm, there's going to be things that bring me sadness and things that bring me joy. And as long as I don't introduce craving or aversion, then I'm not taking it personally. I'm just experiencing an authentic life as it occurs. And uh, it's, it's a lot less stressful. Yeah, isn't it? But it took a while for me to get there. Yeah, but would you say now that you're much more present for your life just in oh, this certainly. moment as it's unfolding? Yeah. Yes. And that, that is it. That really is its own reward. I say that all the time, kind of in a uh, maybe a humorous way, but it really is everything. You know, being here. Be here now, as Alan Watts once said. Thank you, Jane. Hello, Julia. <clears throat> Hi, John. Thank you for the teaching. I'm really happy to be here tonight. And uh, yeah, I don't have much to share, but uh, I'm yeah, just so glad to be here to listen. We are too. I'm glad you're here, Julia. Hello, Jeff. Hello, John. Hello, everybody. Um, hey, Jeff. Uh, yeah, thanks for the teaching. I too am glad to be here. Um, yeah, I can say with with my recent experiences, this this the, the concept of not accepting the suffering has really been completely transformative for me. Um, yeah, I've got a job that I'm supposed to organize swirling chaos, and now I'm going through some of these treatments that are kind of invasive and technically kind of painful, but it is actually at this point, it's just kind of interesting. I mean, it's not really, I don't really have to suffer. It's just, I find it just kind of technically interesting, I guess I'd say. So I, I appreciate the, the teaching and this information. Yeah. Thank you, Jeff. I, I find it the same thing too. I, for the first time in my life, starting a few years ago, I've been going to doctors rather regularly. Again, for the first time in when, you know, the only reason I went to doctors before is once or twice for physicals for work or something like that. And, you know, despite the time that I'm, I have to put into it, which is, you know, I'd rather not, but all of the things that they're doing really is fascinating. Even getting, you know, I was, I was, I was getting an MRI attendant. I, I could see she was getting impatient with me because I was asking too many questions about what she was doing. And she wasn't used to someone being interested in, in, in what was happening. Uh, but, you know, they put this thing on my head to get a brain scan of what's this about. What's that? She, well, just, it's better if you just be quiet. <laughs> okay. I, I took the hint and I was quiet. <laughs> so I just wanted to know. Did they find one? What's that? Did they find one? No, that's what I said. I, it's like, I, I kept. For my whole life, I wanted to use that line for my, I think it was Henny Young in the Rodney Dangerfield. I had an x-ray in my head and they didn't find anything. So, of course, I had to ask her. I said, did you find it? I said, I lost 50 bucks. Did you find it? And she didn't even laugh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jeff. Hello, Brett. Hey, John. Uh, good to be here. Um, thanks for the teaching. Uh, all I can say is that I... <clears throat> Somebody showed me a, a new real estate property tonight because I'm constantly on the hunt for something to move into and do that. And try not to make, try not to get too excited. So it's good teaching to relate to, yeah. to keep everything in check of, uh, you know, my, I'm already designing the house to build, you know, of course. you know, and it's so, 
Uh, I bet you already picked out the trees you're cutting down. <laughs> no, I already picked out the trees I'm planting in the house. <laughs> <laughs> All white oaks along the road. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's gotta be beautiful. Yeah, so I, I mean, every three seconds a new thoughts. It's it's nuts, and so uh, I just have to say, uh, you know, just just take gets I don't know, just get out of control a little bit. So it was a good teaching to yeah, to, to, to hear. <laughs> I'm sure it was. You're you're, you're going to bring a six-property person to a new company. Yeah. Figure it out. Huh? Yeah. Thank, here, thank you. Hello, Tom. Good to see you, my friend. Um, thank you for teaching. Um, I, you know, I've been noticing at times where I'm agitated in the middle of the day, and I don't know why, and I'm like, I'm realizing that there's just things going on in my body or my mind or something I'm seeing or hearing or touching or feeling and how much you attach emotion to that and if you're not yeah. if you're not mindful throughout the day it kind of builds up and yeah. some days I really just find myself really agitated and not knowing why and now you know listening to this I, I it kind of makes sense a lot of times I think I'm just floating through life and that I'm not in the moment I'm not mindful yeah and uh, just trying to get through the day and a lot of it is just yeah a noisy neighbor or it could be something else and it bothers me and I get stuck and cling to that emotion and then it yeah. carries over to everything else I do. Yes. Yeah. But that's that's great insight to see that you do it. That's the beginning of dollar practice and stopping that, right? Before you can end that process that you're doing, you have to see it. Yeah. And now that you see it, you can end it. And usually that ending is going to be gradual. Yeah. You know? But you're also right to see that you might not know why you're why you're agitated in this moment, but it is because of taking one person one moment after the next after the next personal until it erupts into this agitated mind. Or as your dharma practitioners will practice practice will let you do uh, to to stay calm and peaceful in this moment and so not feed the next moment, you know, or so feed the next moment with calm and peace. But you're developing that problem. and. Again, that you're recognizing it is the beginning of the, the ability to abandon that type of ongoing thinking. Good for you. I'm glad you're here. Tell my teacher Rob. Yeah, it's a it's a big and long circuit, but in the end, it just is a a teaching on simplicity. Yeah. We're simply six, six properties. And everything else is just pure speculation. And he clearly said, don't go there. Yeah. Um, and well, what else do you need for a practice? Yeah. You know, that and the Satipatthana Sutta, um, you're good to go. Yeah. You, really, you really are. And the, it, even the Sutta, even though it is, the Buddha says it's, it's a simple Sutta. Yeah, he's talking about the Mahaparana Bonasi, I think it's true. Um, but it does, it, it gets right to the point. But if the Buddha just started the sutta with Pukasati, you know, we're just a six property person to describe what that was and left it there, I don't mm -hmm. think it would have been, it wouldn't have been useful um, to Pukasati. You might have pondered it and tried to figure it out. And it probably wouldn't be useful to us either. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, in even though it gets a little complicated with these six, 18 determinations, when we understand it, it's really just three things. 
you know, that, that can play out in these different ways. So the Buddha is rather thorough in teaching us the simplicity of being a six-property person and how to recognize when we're no longer a six-property person or you know, right. seven or eight or you know, an infinitely property person, which is the problem. Thank you, Isaac. Now I'm teacher David. I'm good tonight, John. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad you're here, especially since you got me here. Thank you. <laughs> I'm a teacher, Matt. Thanks for the teaching tonight, John. Um, I really like what uh, what Jane had to say tonight. That was that was very good. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. All right, we'll end uh, as we always do with Meta. Unless anybody has any other questions or comments. Okay, and just a, a reminder: we'll be in tomorrow's email, I think, if I get it in. Um, our friend Tom is teaching his first class. Um, across the pond this Thursday at two o'clock our time, seven o'clock his time. So if you're around and can join uh, Tom, please do so. Just the normal link. The normal link, yeah. Yeah, Tom will be meeting in our meeting room. All right, we'll finish with Meta as we always do. So again, take a moment to become mindful of your in-breath and your out-breath and let that mindfulness of your breath unite your mind and your body. Excuse me. <laughs> <coughs> the Buddha's words on metta. <clears throat> this is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied. Unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, Peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud of demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise will later reprove. May all beings be at ease, whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born. May all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life, her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful class tonight. Thank you, John. Peace. Thank you, John. See you all. Good night. Thank See you, you Bob. See you, James. See you, Jeff. Thank you, John. Have a good night. You too. Yeah. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. <laughs>